Is that Glock? Well, I'm tripping major nutsack right now. Oh, send it! Welcome to the world of winning. Hello and welcome back to the edition of the Switchback Formula One podcast. My name is Graham, and joining me as always, uh, he's still out there hunting for his Easter eggs. It's, uh, it's Luke Holmes. Am I? It's, it's funny, you think I like chocolate. What? No, I do. I do. I'm not that weird. Good grief! I I thought that made you shit bricks, didn't it? I I, I almost questioned our entire friendship for how many years now in the, in that one moment. I was going to say, surely you see me eat chocolate? Surely it's some in Ireland. To be but honest, I don't think I did. I don't think I did. I was because he was too busy. Yeah, doing things. To be honest, I. Was, I if you had, I wouldn't have paid it. I wouldn't have given it a second thought, to be honest. I wouldn't have thought it unusual yeah. or Cock usual. Cockwood's the only one that saw me buy some chocolate from the vending machine. Yeah, <laughs> that was it. Yeah. Uh, that was three euros for a fucking Snickers. Embarrassing. Was that at the train station by any chance? Or? No, that was in the hotel when you guys were still in the club. Oh. Me and him, me and him went back early. Wow. Jeez, hotel vending machines are expensive. Mm. That has to be worse than the airport, I think. Yeah. Oh yeah. dear. Uh, to be honest, I think everyone. I think everyone was more so preoccupied with what you were drinking that weekend more so than what you were eating or not eating. Yeah. Yeah. Mistakes were made. <laughs> uh, if you had to, right? So speaking of Easter, right? So uh, favorite Easter egg or like, anything of the right. sort? So it's, it's I had this debate the other day. Right? Uh-huh. Now, I believe Easter egg chocolate tastes better than normal chocolate. Full stop. Just don't know why. It just tastes different and it's better. It's just because there's less shit in it, essentially? I don't know. I don't know. It's just plain so, chocolate most of the time. Yeah. So there's that. But for taste, I go for Cadbury's. Mm-hmm. But if I want some thick-ass chocolate and something I can sit there and properly get into, then I'm going, no matter what it is, I'm going for a Nestle Easter egg all the time. Okay. Anyone in particular, or no? They're all the same, aren't they? Really, they're all. Unless you like get a flavored one that's got like mint and orange in it, it's still mm. basically the same. Orange, orange chocolate. Oh, honestly, I had I had an orange Easter egg last year, and it was the most awful thing. Ah, <laughs> uh, orange chocolate is such a just. No, I like uh, mint chocolate if it's Aero. Yeah, absolutely. You know what Aero is. I yeah. completely agree with you. If I know what Aero is. I, I don't know. I don't know if you've got them over there or not. Yes. I assume you did, but yeah. Uh, orange chocolate. Like, unless, like Terry's I can tolerate yeah. if it's put in front of me. Everything else is, is just getting the bin. As far Terry's as I'm concerned. Or an orange cream from a quality street box at Christmas. That's about as my, my limits on orange chocolate. If I had a choice of chocolate, it's got to be strawberry chocolate. Uh, easily. Yes. Yes. So. Uh, if it's an Easter egg, uh, to be honest, I... I'm not too fussy when it comes to these. I, I do just like a general cream egg one. You get two mm-hmm. eggs for the price of one almost. <laughs> um, I like cream eggs, so I can go with that. I like the caramel ones better, but I do enjoy a cream egg. Okay. Yeah, I I couldn't get into the caramel eggs. I thought, oh, I'll give these a try. Couldn't really get into them. I also love... Uh, oops, I, also, I also love the... Do you know the... Ah, uh, do you know like the so- the the egg eggs? Uh, Easter mini eggs. eggs. Yeah, mini eggs. That, that's, that's exactly the one. Love those. Yes, I do as well. But my teeth don't love them, though. <laughs> Especially when it's been in the fridge and I chomp down on it and I'm like, 
Oh dear, looks like we're going to the dentist for the first time in five years. I was going to say, when's the last time you went to the dentist? Yeah, and the last time they tried to charge me 70 quid for a checkup, and I was like, no, <laughs> I'm not mm. going back. Stuff that. I've turned 18 now. <laughs> I can do what I want. <laughs> going to be honest, it's been a long ass time since I've been to the dentist. I have my I had four molars taken out as a kid on four different trips. Uh, it was hard. I can still feel the wiggling sensation of the, the tooth. Uh, <laughs> I had my braces. And that, that that was enough for me. Yeah, I'm not, never going back. I'm lucky that I've got a yeah. My dental hygiene is good, so haven't need to go back. But yeah, I'm. It will have it will have to happen at one stage. But I'm uh, dreading mm. going. Yeah, going back. touch wood. Mm. Touch wood. Indeed. I definitely didn't touch my gentleman region there. Yeah, oh, brilliant. Uh, well, it's, 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 I think that's indicative <laughs> of the week we've had. Really, it's been a pretty obviously. Look, it's we've got the Australian Grand Prix come and gone. We've not got back in for three weeks or so. It's the end of April, so it's it's going to be a while. So, oh, we're still in the season, are we? Yeah, season's still going on. Yeah, actually. Oh, um, really? Wow, I hadn't, I hadn't noticed. It's weird, isn't it? I just, feel like I'm on winter break. I know, I know, right? Yeah. Like, we get two breaks this year. It's flipping brilliant. Uh, spring break. Go oh, go go nuts on sure. spring spring vacation. Yay. Uh, regardless, though, because of the the because of the last three laps of the Australian Grand Prix were absolutely helter skelter and extended the podcast, I would say by about um, fifty minutes. Uh, <laughs> you could have honestly, you could have extended that podcast for even another hour if we, if we really wanted to get it down into the nitty gritty because there's so much silly stuff going on behind the scenes. And, mm. Mm. I think we did well with an hour and a half to be fair we with did. all of that. We did. Again, the last three laps, everything that happened. Thank you, Kevin Magnuson, for <laughs> for yes. that. Anyway, well, obviously, trying much. to condense the Australian Grand Prix, we didn't obviously talk about some of the stuff leading up to the Australian Grand Prix. So we're going to do that and then catch up on the news week, uh, the week's news then. And uh, we'll do F2 and F3 next week since we have the, uh, yes, have the time. Yes, we haven't watched them yet. <laughs> <laughs> Shh, give them away the secrets of the show. I've watched one of the races live and I, I, I need to watch it with commentary. So uh, It's not quite <laughs> the same watching on mute, is it? It's hard no. to put Alex Jakes on mute. Yeah, well, even then, I'm not really bothered about the F3 commentator, to be honest. Well, it's Chris and, McCarthy and these it, days, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. This is. He's he's made he's made the jump up from for the regional European presented by Alpine as well. <laughs> he, he could have stayed there, to be honest. Because I know, I mean, it used to be Harry uh, Harry Benjamin. Yeah, thank you. Who sounds somewhat similar to Alex Jakes? Yeah, uh, Harry Benjamin is actually fine. Yeah, I think actually they mind Harry Benjamin. Uh, Chris McCarthy, I think, is fine for F three. He does a good job. Yeah, th- this is where they get Matt Gallagher to do F three, and then I'll be like, oh god, I'm never Ooh. watching F three again. Yeah, I can I can tolerate enough one sports <laughs> <laughs> because Jake's is there, but <laughs> no, thank you. Oh, solid Alex Jake's carry, man, man. I know we've said this before. Man rocks up like it just takes the piss, but he like when it comes to the one or two laps that he has to actually. Do, do like get get buckled down and qualifying like he, he's just he's just a pro <laughs> he's so yeah good. you literally can just turn it on oh. the flick of a switch and he's on it like a carb on it it's, yeah uh, it's brilliant he, he's a, <laughs> and don't forget he does it for he does like three different commentaries all on one weekend he's an absolute madman yeah i'm so happy he, he has the f1 gig now for um f1 tv yeah and f1 youtube so they've actually yeah been off crafty so yeah, well, they just take they just take the F1 TV feed now um, yeah. instead of the Sky Sports feed, which obviously did for a long time. And you may as well, like again, uh, Alex Jakes and Alex Brundle, man, it's, it has to be the future. It just has to be the future. It will be. It will be. So, 
Anyways, let's let's go through this then. Uh, it only took us seven, seven minutes to get through that. <laughs> Eight minutes. Uh, yeah, it doesn't matter. Uh, dear. So obviously we uh, actually this this first bit is actually fallout from the Saudi Grand Prix with regards uh, working on what counts as working on the car when pit teams serve uh, penalties. Obviously, Alonso Fernando Alonso is uh, obviously that's that whole situation was uh, was a thing. And as expected and as reported, the FIA have indeed uh, clarified the rule, which caused that confusion. Uh, obviously, the, the the problem was obviously the vagueness of what defined working on the car. But mm. now it's been amended that uh, it now says in the rules the car uh, when the car is serving a penalty, it may not be worked on until the car has been stationary for the duration of the penalty. Yeah. So we were wondering, like again, I was wondering, like, we were wondering, like you know, is it going to be? Can they? Pull up on the jacks and then work, or is this going to be no jack or front jack or rear jack? Or so in the end, it's just jack hammer. Mm. Uh, no, I didn't. So it's just in the box, serve the penalty, then up on the jacks. So there you go. That will, uh, well, we'll see if that, <laughs> that helps. Yeah, probably not though, because there'll probably be still some. Uh controversy around it there always is yeah some unforeseen rule that uh, hasn't been taken into account but the FIA also noted that there's quote several other elements end quote of sporting regulations that are being reviewed with potential clarifications or reading, redefining to avoid future confusion don't know what those that involves or surrounds but they say they're looking at it, so uh, I guess we'll see yeah. uh, moving on from that I guess the surprise a surprise uh, clarification ahead of the Australian Grand Prix was uh, FIA reminding F1 teams to not that a pit wall, a pit wall fence celebrations are prohibited remain prohibited rather uh, this has been a time old uh, tradition in F1 for as long as I can remember certainly uh, teams got on the fence at the end of the race to celebrate their driver maybe for a win or a surprise podium or some surprise points as in, the, in some extreme cases in the past oh yeah uh, you know, when back when it, like, it was once a season occurrence, so like Minardi, for example, would be uh, or every few seasons occurrence. Uh, were you surprised by this um, reclarification by, uh, or, I guess, a reaffirming of this by uh, by Niels Vitek and the FIA? Yeah, because it's been a thing for years, and I, I don't think it's it's not safe. Don't get me wrong, but Jesus Christ, health and safety is taking over a little bit too much, to be honest, but. I get it. I think it's just them sort of covering arse in case something does happen, if you know what I mean. Because it is only a fence at the end of the day. It's not designed to have like 30 people swinging off of it or hanging off of it. But mm. it's, uh, yeah, probably uh, going a little bit too far, to be honest. But I, I get it. Yeah. I mean, like, it's one of those, like, are we going to wait for someone to fall off the pit wall before we do something about it? Like, I. In a sense, like I get it. In a sense, it's like it's just it's been par and parcel for yeah. forever, really. And yeah. it's not like it's not like one of the things that changes. It's it's still a man on the on a fence or a man or a woman like on a fence. Uh, you know, there's nothing. There's nothing that's the same now as it was back in the eighties, the nineties, the two thousands. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Like it's not like it's, thing, it's not like it's changed as F one has evolved. So yeah. Anyway, yeah, a strange one. Anyway, so we'll see if uh, how long that keeps up for. Uh, a couple of other bits of fallouts from the Australian Grand Prix. Uh, Alex Albon, obviously, his crash was not just disappointing for Williams' own race. Obviously, it, it it led to one of the strange red flags. But um, they confirmed Albon's tire temperature spike theory during the week as well. Mm-hmm. 
Very interesting video, by the way. That they oh, it's good. That. Yeah, I, I fantastic. Gonna say that it was like it's one of the, like, I'm really pleased that James Val is continuing this with Williams that he did with Mercedes. A debrief afterwards. I think it just offers like transparent, honest, and excellent insight into you know into uh, just the running of a weekend and just just honest reflection of 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 events. And I do recommend watching because it, it was fa- it was great to hear Val's. Uh, describe the chain of events that led to Albon's accident. I assume, I obviously, I presume you watched this as well. I watched it without sound, but it got subtitles. So yeah, mm-hmm. I understood. I saw what was going on. No, in fact, it was a TikTok. I saw saw a TikTok of it. Um, but yeah, it literally goes into every little detail of why it happened, and it was really really interesting actually. Mm, did... You don't the things you don't think of, and of course, it was something to do with shitty Pirelli. But you know, whatever. <laughs> Did you, uh, so do you want to explain what was actually occurred or do you remember? <laughs> it was something to do with the tyre temps dropping and he carried, I think it was 10 kilometres an hour more speed into the corner than he did the previous lap. And yeah, it was just too much of the tyres to handle. And it, yeah, the tyres just couldn't cope with it and it, it just went, nothing he could do. And yeah. Something you wouldn't really expect considering the tyres. Yeah, it, 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 it's bizarre that it could do something like that, and it's interesting that they've got the data to sort of pinpoint it exactly down to that. It's really, really fascinating, actually. Yeah, so basically, Val was mentioning that they were surprised that Alba could go flat at the beginning of the race through turn five, and mm. talked about kind of the ear, the energy deployment, and how that was leading to him going a couple of kilometers faster, and hit a curb on the outside of five and then that kind of yeah there's a spike then in temperature that just i won't try to lean the tire obviously going through turn six the the car just completely uh did away from him so like albon took responsibility for it at the time uh but uh obviously had had a theory himself but yeah it was a i thought that was a certainly a fascinating insight on two uh from vows and Williams again like it's it's very clear that they like again you could look into the whole uh vowels you know the the whole vowels uh led era at williams but it certainly seems like transparency is uh obviously a key point of emphasis for 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 him yeah yeah no that's i i, I like it and i was i loved it when he did it at mercedes as much as i mm-hmm. have a passion for hating mercedes um it was one of the things i didn't mind watching from them Oh yeah, absolutely. It was, it's good content, like it really is. Um, so I'm glad that's continuing. Uh, you mentioned the shitty Pirelli tires. Uh, we had a nice affirmation of that from Lando Norris in the week as well. Literally, uh, this was quite scathing. I think this was particularly yeah. scathing. So I'm reading from Matt Q from Motorsport.com about uh, this story, and Norris, yeah, he said we have a soft tire that's 65 degrees centigrade, and I can't describe how little grip there is on track. Now this is in relation to. Him talking about, I believe, uh, standing restarts uh, and people uh, and people's criticisms of that in particular. So, mm. um, uh, he's sorry. He began this quote by saying, "Nothing against them, um, this, uh, but for the, the people who make decisions, don't know what's going on inside the car. We have a soft tire that's sixty-five degrees centigrade, and I can't describe how little grip there is on track. It's not a bad temperature." 
but the tire doesn't work. And on this surface with this tire temperature, I can't describe how bad the grip is. That's why you see everyone going straight on in turn one and locking up. It provides literally no grip. So you have to brake so early, which causes chaos and causes incidents. Norris implied that the current 20, uh, so no, um, that was end quote beforehand. And uh, Norris then implied that the current specification 23 inch Pirellis on 18 inch wheel rims were not up to F1 standard, labeling the rubber terrible. And Norris said, if the tires felt like they gave us some grip, I think you'd be able to see a good race without chaos and some clumsiness and things like that. It's just difficult. I wouldn't say it's clumsy from everyone. It's just you're racing and there's no grip. Simple as that. We need a tire that gives us some more grip and actually a tire that feels like it should be on a Formula One car at the top of motorsport. At the moment, on a day like today, it feels pretty terrible. That's pretty scathing. Yeah. Considering it's coming from one of the most, I would say, influential drivers in terms of social media, that's uh, a bold statement. Very bold. Um, completely agree with him. Oh, absolutely. We've said it for since the podcast began, <laughs> to be <laughs> honest. But um, yeah, he's completely right. And I'll be very surprised if F1 continues the partnership with Pirelli beyond 25. Mm. Is it? Yeah, well, yeah. Well, we obviously talked about, I think it's 26. Uh, yes, 26, 26. Yeah, 27 would be the new year. Obviously, yes. like we talked about last week about how FI is basically, like F1 are basically opening, essentially. Like it's, who wants to supply our tyres? Anyone? Um, please. Please? Question mark? Uh, yeah. Very Should much do. kind of shopping. And look, it's, look, this criticism from Norris oh, is not is the it? first of, you know, a, a driver is made about this, uh, about this whole thing. You know, it's Verstappen's obviously. Yeah. Last year. Like we had that, we had that basically entire podcast where we slated slated Pirelli for the fact that they couldn't make a tire that mm. worked. Well, even the then, like bef- there was a Singapore weekend before that, which basically had like a uh, you know foreshadowed exactly thing. Mm. that whole thing. So like wet or dry, like the, the 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 tires are just terrible. Like for they're 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 really not up to standard. Like it's it's and they've gone away with this for far too long. You know, uh, they the, had- thing, the thing is they were good a few years ago. In terms of the actual, like rubber itself, I don't, I don't know what's happened the last few years. It's... Ever since we switched to the, the bigger wheels, it just doesn't seem to to work. Yeah, in the bigger wheels at the rear, should I say? Sorry, I was going to say 2016 may have been the last mm-hmm. good year in a sense, but at the same time, drivers have been unhappy with tires for quite a while. Like it, like I feel like in a sense, and to the defence of Pirelli, yeah, I know, right? Flipping, I think they have been in a no-win situation because no matter what yeah. they've made, there's been chatter of that like it hasn't been what anyone's wanted you know or like you know we want tire we want races with more strategy and now we want tires that actually we can lean on and actually use now these it tires aren't yeah do you know what i mean like the goalposts do the, seem the, to move a lot yeah. yeah the thing is you're always going to piss someone off this this f1 there's no there's always going to be someone being a karen in the corner so <laughs> no matter no matter what you what you do you're going to end up basically going full circle at some point but they, they, I think they've just let it go to their heads a little bit that they're the only tyre supplier and there is literally no competition until the end of 2026. So it's, um, I kind of hope they get their act together because I do like the, some of the strategy, the strategic um, options they bring, but it just, yeah, they, they, they need to sort something out because you can't carry on the way we are. I know we've said it for years and we've still carried on the way we are, but. It, it does need to change because mm. otherwise they're going to be gone and that is going to be a 
big loss of revenue for them because I'm sure they get quite a bit of um, I want to say good PR from from F1, but you know you know what I mean. Just because the uh, if you think of tires when you want to buy a car, a tires for your actual road car, and you would think, oh, I could put Pirellis on my car. <laughs> I no. mean, like as a kid, like I was like, does like you know, just has Bridgestones, does Michelin's, you know, no, no, of course, other tires. It's, it's weird things existed. I, I like my Bridgestones were on mine. <laughs> I, I purposely buy Bridgestone or Michelin. That's it. I don't buy anyone's. Yeah, anyone else's. Uh, obviously, like because it's not just F one they supply. They obviously supply the, the Geo Calgarys as well. Yeah, so, and the, it's a completely different tire for them as well. Never mind just F one is. It's not great in them categories, and obviously they they got to deal with how the bloody tire blank is. So, yeah, and if that all goes through next year, then Jesus Christ, we're in for a treat of uh, yeah. <laughs> absolute Pirelli roasting. Um, as much as you guys may hate that, <laughs> we'll get used to it. I think uh, Logan Sargent also said when the, obviously we talking about his incident with uh, Nick DeVries, uh, he said when I hit the brake, nothing was up to temp. The tires brakes. I touched the brakes and locked both fronts immediately. Uh, apologies to Nick. I hate to end the day like that. I have to look and see what happened, but it definitely felt strange because I felt like I had braked in a similar spot the previous two starts. Just yeah, highlighting g- an inconsistency. In- Going along with the inconsistency, little little tangent here. Mm. How come he never got a penalty? Yeah. By the way. It's, so this has been obviously a thing afterwards as well. Uh, so the big so we'll get to that but obviously the big one obviously was that Gasly managed to avoid himself a penalty for his first lap or for his uh, for his flipping incident with Ocon which uh, he should have done you think he should have avo- you think he yeah. should have got a penalty no no he, sh- he should have avoided a penalty okay let's, let's be real let's How, be real uh, lay it out to me I'm interested to hear I, I just think it was they, they should have treated it as lap one when they did well that's what they did yeah that's exactly yeah. what they did that was, that, the, that's, that's, that's what, that was my point with science but yeah it, it should have been treated as a lap one incident because it was just a Constantina effect and he would have just been spaced out from what had just happened and then, yeah, it just unlucky. You can actually see, like, he's looking left, essentially. Like, he's just... Yeah, it's just... He, literally, the thing is, as soon as his car touched Ocon's car, it was game over. Like, there was no saving either of them at that point. No. It was done. So, if they're like, if there was a bit more runoff there, he might have got away with it. But the... This Australia it was a street circuit. At the end of the day, it was never going to have more runoff there. You also had people like people going off the track on the inside as well. It, uh, it, it was chaos. That first corner promotes chaos. <laughs> Has done for years. Yeah, I also think if they were two, di- I do think if they were two different teams, it would have been the outcome would have been different. Yes, completely agree. I, I want to say Alpine um, definitely had an influence on this one being toned down a little bit. Hundred percent. If that, if that was like if that was Aston Martin and Alpine, then yeah, penalties come in one of their ways mm-hmm. at some point. Yeah, so like that one you can understand. I I I'm yeah I'm struggling to understand why Sergeant wasn't given a grid penalty for um, knocking him having to freeze out there. <laughs> a warning or something, you know what I mean? Just it's not it wasn't under even the radar. acknowledged. Yeah, <laughs> like he completely yeeted him off. <laughs> nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing. I would say out of all three incidents, that's the worst one. Oh, by far, it's completely yeah. unrelated to the others by, as well. Yeah, completely unrelated. Takes them both out of the race. At least Alonso was able to carry on. Sure. <laughs> and get and get the podium at the end of the day. But you know, what I mean, De Vries could have potentially got into the points. Probably not. But 
You know what I mean? It could have happened, but no. <laughs> Same with Sergeant in that respect. It's uh Yeah. It's very strange. Yeah, that was a that was a strange one. The big fallout though is uh it actually came more so later in the week. This was a strange one because Ferrari initially uh, Vasur initially said Ferrari wouldn't appeal the decision for Carlos Sainz's five second penalty. Um Although, like, so, like, basically, he, he says he agreed with some of the things that we had said on the podcast separately as well. It's like they should have taken more time to basically talk to Carlos after the race to actually before doing something with it. His his problem was that, and this is the quote. I think he was talking to Channel Four when he uh, when he said this uh, so on the on the race day. He, he said they took thirty laps before to decide if Alonso was into the box or not, and today it took five seconds. Hmm. Now that's two things with that. One, it just highlights the absolute shambles that was Saudi in terms of looking at that. Yes, that was a bad thing to do uh, from their part. And like, like it, I get why. Like, obviously, look, I get why they investigate so quickly into the science. One, like they, they literally like it happened, and there was a red flag. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's you know, I know there are other bits to do as well, but like the it just that to me is more so that the Alonso one was inexcusable. That it took that long less so about the less like for me that that cup that quote is tells more about the saudi situation than it does about the science situation mm, it does again i still think they should have talked tried to science afterwards like like they would most end of race incidents uh, however you then would, you would think anyway. you you would think and then over the week uh, actually on friday uh, Ferrari for, formally requested the FIA to review its decision to penalise science. So after all of that, um, they began the process on Thursday, apparently. And the FIA spokesperson confirmed that I received Ferrari's request for the, the request of a right of review. Um, and this, this, I'm reading from racefans.net and uh, answering a quote from Vassour talking to racefans.net when they asked a question about it. Um, and Vassour said, it's where the frustration it's where the frustration came from because we had the feeling that the Ocon gas situation was treated a bit differently. Um, so that was obviously, uh, again, Vassour said this, the steward's decision to issue the science penalty immediately by speaking to the driver is not consistent with their handling of another incident involving Alpine and uh, Gasly and Ocon. So again, it was more so, again, just the timing of things, you know, talking after the race. Um hmm. I still don't think it changes the actual incident itself, but, you know, I do think maybe it's worth reviewing that. Maybe if anything, you know, some things are slam dunks. I some like, And I do think that was yeah. one of them. Um, yeah, I, 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 I do agree it was a penalty. I just think they should have spoke to him. Yeah. Like I, like I said last week, it was, it just they just made a snap decision without speaking to Carlos and seeing it from his side of it. When it we, we know what the outcome would have been. I'm sure Carlos would have agreed. It, it's just... Yeah, it, it's just a very weird decision that they can... I, I don't get how one week you can rush a decision and the other week, the week race before, you take 30 laps to decide a penalty. It makes no sense to me. Yeah, but let me, let me swing the inverse then. Like, Do we need to speak to someone after the race if it's something that happened on lap one, for example? No. Do you know what I mean? Like, for a sim- yeah, if that accident happens on it. lap one, that also that's the same outcome, and no one bats an eye because it happened at the beginning of the race. Like, and then, yeah. bear in mind as well, like it's a double, like it's a double edged sword because science said that five seconds for George Russell taking him out in Cota wasn't wasn't enough. It is there is a, look F one is hypocritical, and you know. Yeah, but the thing is, with that one, George literally took science out of the race. 
Alonso was able to carry on. Yeah, but like, uh, let me, yeah, and I, to, I know what you mean. To kind of argument it, that, it, like, it, Alonso did hit the barrier. To... Like, it, it could, that could have easily given them rear suspension damage, and that would have been him out of the yeah. race as well. Like, do we, yeah. do we change the outcome of a decision based on the fact maybe a, a car's integrity or something? You know, like, it's we're talking about very fine margins here. The, yeah. the bottom in line is that he's cons- been punted punt, punt, punt round and he's out of where he should have been. Yeah, in terms of consistency, they were right in terms of that incident. Literally lines up with what happened in Kota. Yeah, it, it, I, I get it, and I like I say I agree with the penalty. It's just it's just lots of grey areas, man. Lots and lots of grey areas that people don't realise are there until the situation actually arises, and then we end up in a situation like this where there's massive debate about absolutely nothing, really. Yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's bizarre to me, but yeah, I, I just obviously the Ferrari fan. Who's signing his Ferrari shirt right now? <laughs> is uh, crying on the inside, but it's um... it's a strange one. Like I would have thought, Sainz would have been a bit more understanding of it, given that you know he went through the opposite himself. And if that happened, to, if Alonso punted him round like that on Sunday, then he would have been yeah. furious that if it was a no no call, like if it was no no penalty. So I don't know, man. It's yeah, I, I, I think some of it is just pure frustration that Ferrari aren't where they are. Yeah, where they where they should where they think they should be. If you know what I mean, some of it I think it just felt like, oh, for fuck's sake, not somewhere else to that basically takes us out of the points a whole weekend for nothing yeah. for the team. So we're yes, starting since two thousand and nine. Yes. So yes. now that Ferrari was oh dear God. Yeah, that was a rough mm. one. That car got better, but oof, that was tough. This one, this one technically has got better so far. It's just well, they've got plenty quite. of yeah. Like there's, uh, I will say there's a yeah. I will, so, so actually, on this before we talk about some more Ferrari stuff, I, I do think maybe we need to have a thing where like the last an incident that takes place in the last five laps or something automatically is investigated after the race, and we can close kind of debates like this. Yeah, that, that, that's the thing I was going to su- suggest. Like, I think we we're only talking about this because it was literally two laps from the end is like they they could have easily delayed the decision but you know yeah. it, it, it is what it is at this point and I'm sure this right review gets laughed out of the room just like Haas's protest I, I yeah. think as well yeah, yeah exactly but I think it's I think it's I think they I think DJ and they know that it will I think it's more so just a challenge of the processes yeah, which I, I think, think is fine. Please signs as well. Yeah, it's a strange one, like because like it's not like they backed him up, so to speak. They backed his corner. And only now are they doing it. I don't know. If it, it, it's it's a strange. Unless one. they found something, you don't know what the teams can. The teams can come up with all sorts, as as uh, Alpine have done in the past with uh, certain things and just pulled things out of the rose and gone after things. It's um, yeah, it doesn't doesn't surprise me, but. It's Ferrari at the end of the day. It's just shambles off front and center, isn't it? So, I think I saw somewhere that I think I I think it was on race fans. I think that Vasseur's also uh, point was that there was a similar there've been similar incidents where that has happened and the penalty has not been given. So yeah, but again, like you're this is all just highlighting the inconsistency. Like we've got different stewards at different races mostly. Yeah, uh, yeah. which is I still think a long term problem. Like we need. Be pro- if you're if we need if you're going to have transparency, I think you're going to have to have a dedicated set of stewards that are going to be at every race essentially. Yeah, just just be clear. Just come clear and 
give everyone clarity and then it's the same people follow the same because yeah. everyone's going back to a precedent that was set by different people and it's again yeah, it's just all over the this, place, this problem it? has been highlighted with, uh, between Vittich and uh, Flippin uh, Freitas so with race director yes. and we know how that turned out so anyways I uh, have a stat for you yes hit me since 2020 how many red flags have there been oh dear race red flags yes uh that includes like ones where we've just stopped because of weather and stuff like that. Oh dear, twenty twenty. Since twenty twenty season. Give me, give me an over under. Uh, it is over ten. Over ten, okay. But under twenty. Okay. Now we had a lot of silly ones recently. Yes. Uh, three, obviously. To one of which in this in the last race, but. <laughs> yeah, uh, three red flags at this race alone. Technically four. True, true. We'll talk about that actually in a sec. Uh, I'm going to say eighteen. Oh, so so close. Seventeen. Seventeen. Okay. Bearing in mind, from 2000 to 2020, there was nine. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so it tells you a lot about how much the safety has gone up in recent years in terms of them being. Very picky about when we go out for rain, rain and stuff. It's uh, mm. yeah. To be fair, I remember red flag used to be a thing. Everyone was like, "Holy shit!" Like it was yeah, a... you, something big has happened. Yeah, yeah. I think practice normalized it quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. That that doesn't include practice, by the way. Oh, that, stop! That would be, be ludicrous. Yeah, that'd be. A, I, I'd say this is just qualifying plus. and um, race situations. Mm. Uh, speaking speaking of red flags, actually, there was a Total Wolf. Uh, there's a story from Philip Clear on Motorsport.com. Total Wolf talking about how everyone must better define when to use red flags. I think he's got a point when it comes to this topic as a whole. Uh, obviously, Mercedes will hit a little bit with with red flag. Obviously, in, in one sense, obviously George Russell ends up retiring anyways. But oh. um, I know, right? Uh, but Total Wolf said both red flags we didn't see coming. I think standing restarts are a great entertainment factor. We just need to understand going forward when are red flags being put out and what is a safety car or a VSC. I think in those incidents, you could have applied either. I'm fine whether you call a VSC or a safety car or you red flag it, as long as we understand in terms of us being able to plan a little bit. It's all defined altogether what is a VSC, what is a safety car, and what is a red flag. Hmm. Uh, that's what Wolf said. Now... I do think I would I would disregard his uh, planning comment a bit because obviously that's some clairvoyant uh, you know that's that's I don't know that's just putting more power into the strategist's hands but a, a general clarification of what is or I think let's so VSC and safety car but a clarification of what needs a red flag or what outsets a red flag would maybe wouldn't do any harm. Yeah, yeah, I suppose, but. At the end of that, if someone's crashed and there's debris everywhere, then it's a red flag, isn't it? It's um, I, I don't think it needs to be too overkill with that kind of thing. <laughs> I was actually watching. You know I was random, I was actually randomly watching the 2008. Uh, it was just on my on my uh, sub, it was on my home feed. The race highlights from the 2008 British Grand Prix. I reckon about four or five cars went off the gravel trap in Silverstone. I don't think a single safety car was deployed because yeah, Hamilton's Hamilton still won by about 30 plus seconds or so, didn't he? Yeah. He did. Um, I was like, yeah. "There's no way he did that with like three or four safety cars." I think they just let all those go. I was like, "Like this is wet weather, and it's like cars in the gravel trap at Abbey." It's like, "Good grief, guys!" I mean, <laughs> yeah, it I, is bizarre, isn't it? I need to see it again, but I'm pretty sure there were no safety cars for those. 
Anyways, I just thought that was bizarre. Safety standards have changed. They have. Um, Seek of Ferrari, though, just going back to that, they're confident of the steps they took at the, at the Australian Grand Prix, despite uh, having no points to show for it. So we'll talk about from Fred Vassour. Um, again, for the clear on uh, Um with this article. Uh, Vassour told motorsport.com, uh, we're all a bit down about this, being the weekend. Overall, I think the mood is positive because he did a mega step forward in terms of performance in the race and we will build up the rest of the season on this. I will be positive and I will push again and again. I think overall that we did a decent step forward. Yesterday, we were frustrated after after the quali because we had the feeling that we didn't put everything together, but the pace was there. Um, and he also highlighted as well some upgrades coming up for, the, uh, for upcoming races. Now, he did mention this. Uh, this is a separate piece by Jonathan Noble about Ferrari deciding to opt against an F1B spec concept to change the 2023 car. So you had mentioned there are some rumours going around about possibly a philosophy change. Yes, so been put to bed. This would seemingly put that to bed. So, uh, science talked about some of the characteristics between the Red Bull and the, uh, and the uh, Ferrari. Um, talking about how Red Bull are superior, meaning the low-speed cores, the superior tyre management, superior over curves and bumps, it just shows that we I clearly need to change were, something. You saw the list on the races video <laughs> where it just goes on and on. It's literally listing everything, every single thing about a good car. Yeah. <laughs> it's what Ferrari don't have. <laughs> uh, asked when the change of concept was coming, Vissor said, no, I don't think so. We have a flow of updates that will come, not for Baku, because we have the aero package for the level of downforce and with the sprint, it is not the easiest one. But for Miami, Imola, not Monaco, and Barcelona at each race will have an update on the car. Yeah, no, that makes sense because yeah, Baku is just a completely different kettle of fish, isn't it? And like yeah. you say, the chaos of the sprint is just asking for all, a lot of money to be wasted. Mm. I think. Are, are, have you talked to Christian Horner recently, or <laughs> we'll talk about that? <laughs> um, Vassar went on to say, "We're sticking to the plan. We've made some adjustments in terms of balance and behaviour, and it was much better in Melbourne, and we'll continue in this direction. It's not a B car, if that is what you want to say. We won't come with something completely different. We will continue to update this one, and we'll try to update massively." Uh, yeah. Vassar went on to say, "Sorry, uh, he explained that the restrictions teams face by both F1's cost cap and uh, damn it, ads. Um, <laughs> I hate when the page jumps like that, man. You're looking at a page that just jumps for some." Flipping ad. Uh, Read a book. You won't have that problem. <laughs> you fool. Explain <laughs> uh, uh, so with the cost cap and winter hours meant that changing concepts at this stage of the season was too tough a task. And he said to do a new project during the season, to start from scratch, to do a new car with the cost cap, but also considering restrictions of the wind tunnel time, I wouldn't say that's, that's impossible, but it's very difficult. Uh, let's just do it again. Uh, so basically, like, basically, the like Aston Martin sacked off their season in, in some ways to, you know, do to do what they did yeah. last year and obviously you're seeing the benefits of that so no, the thing is i think with them they always knew there was a possibility that they got it wrong so they sort of had got it in reserve and ready to go like the basic right. foundations of it anyway whereas ferrari have sort of backed this philosophy that they decided on in 20, for 2022's car and run with, run with it for this year and they're sort of right at the point now where they haven't got the stuff ready for a change of philosophy, and so, so they're basically stuck with it because a it would cost a lot, b it wouldn't be ready in time for when they need it to be ready, and c I think they some I I do believe that they believe that there is still potential in this philosophy, 
just not as much as what Red Bulls has in the long term. So I think they're going to use this year to sort of see if they've got it wrong, try and maximise it, and if it's still wrong, you can pretty much guarantee that everybody will have the same concept for 2024 or near as damn. Look, obviously, there's a lot of potential with that package, even last year as well. Like, like I understand why. uh, Yeah, you can you can sort of see it because at the end of the day, if everyone goes for the same, it's like everyone using the same engine, isn't it? You never you sort of going to be stuck in the same vicinity. So if you try something different, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And in this case, it looks like it isn't the one that's going to work out for uh, winning the championship anyway. Mm. But if they can, I, I don't think it would be the worst thing if they finish fourth. Similar, yeah, similar to what Mercedes, even similar to Mercedes last year, finishing yeah. third was better for them yeah. than finishing second. Uh, quickly, the Aston Martin thing, like obviously they had that for Spain, but like the work that would have gone into, like that would have been like eight or so weeks easily previously before that. Much. You know, yeah, yeah, exactly. That would have been cracked off at the start, of, literally within the first few laps of testing, they would have known. Yeah, they and certainly after Q one <laughs> in yeah. Bahrain. Oh, for sure, it's um, yeah. Ferrari is still with this concept, guys. Mm. So. The other thing with this as well, like you, you talk about copying concepts, essentially, like you're limited, like you're limited because the innovators of the concept, the original concept, are the ones that are going to still win out because they have under, true understanding of the whole concept because it's theirs. And everyone's, if everyone's just copied theirs, then there's only so much I think that they can extract from it compared to the proprietors of it. So exactly, exactly. Nui is going to know everything he needs to know about this. And if someone tries something a little bit different, he's going to be like, actually, that's not going to work. So, mm-hmm. good luck, good guys. Uh, if um, you haven't seen, I saw a fantastic TikTok the other day, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely fantastic. And it was um, a close-up of the Red Bull 2021 side pods and all the floor areas. And it showed in great detail the entire complexity of the floor and stuff. It was amazing. I meant to send it to you. It really went into detail about everything. You don't really see it. And all the, like, it, it was like, how on earth has Nui come up with this to sort of, and just F1 engineers in general, how on earth have they come up with this design to gain this much performance? It, it was fantastic. I should have sent it to you. Uh, feel free to do so. Uh, I think, I remember, I think, I remember some sort of Mercedes piece at the end of 2021, because obviously, like, you can basically tell all your secrets about most of the car, essentially, at the end of 2021 mm. with the, the regulations we set up. I can't remember if it was to do with the engine or not, because I know the engines are being frozen soon after. Um, yeah, but that just came to mind as you're talking about that. But yeah, that's a that'd be an interesting one. Uh, last, I think, lastly, then from the Australian Grand Prix, there are, you mentioned the the fourth red flag, so to speak. Afterwards, the reason for this, and I didn't realize until afterwards, was that there had been a premature fan invasion of the track, and, and a pretty scathing report that's come out from the Australian Grand Prix promoter since. Which, by the way, yes. the man in charge of this, I think this is his last year with us, essentially. So it is, yeah. Just go out, I guess. But uh, the reason why this was criticised was because there was a Haas that was still unsafe at the uh, at turn one, of course, because Hulkenberg had to pull off, and the car was unsafe. And you actually see on the onboard Hulkenberg telling the marshal to back away because the car is unsafe, and like obviously the risk of electrical, electrical discharge which could have obviously caused a lot of harm to someone that they got too close to it. So, yeah, uh, this, yeah, so obviously that was a, something of note anyways at the end of the Australian Grand Prix. And that was the reason for the red flag as well. Yeah, yeah, because uh, what was it that went on talking about his car once? It was... I think it was a K. It was yeah, weird, like you could see the, yeah. like before the uh, third last corner, you could actually see the car like almost step away from him, like something broke. Mm. And he almost missed out on 
uh, getting within signs of five seconds. Which, by the way, like they was very like, everyone was on the ball with that. They tried to get signs to give ten car lengths to Alonso before the end, and then zoom right up to him at the line. Essentially, uh, everyone saw through this and like just stay as close as you can to the car in front. They're going to try something. So everyone was copped onto that. <laughs> yeah, the thing is though, they were, you were going to try, weren't you? It's, yeah. Uh... Yeah, you had to do something, but yeah, but like so, yeah, Hulkenberg. It wasn't a fuel issue. It was like uh, issue with the uh, the, uh, the uh, something broke on the engine, I think. So I think he's got to take a penalty at some point soon. Yes, so uh, another good Ferrari power unit. Yes, fantastic. Mm. Speaking of Hulk, actually, while we're here, I was going to say this for later, but uh, there is a fascinating. Uh, this is a fascinating insight, and uh, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll drop this in there. Um, Hogenberg is actually using the Ferrari sim at the moment, uh, and he's planning to continue to use it. Uh, this story is on motorsport.com from Adam Cooper just at the end of March. And uh, obviously with the, a lot of the, uh, you know, the simulator facilities and such, and obviously the opportunity with Haas, obviously, uh, with the you know, facilities and the such uh, resources, uh, he's so impressed by the Ferrari simulator that he's, uh, services, that he's going to use it regularly. And, Hulkenberg's like, I'm going to use it pretty frequently this year, every couple of weeks or so. I think we have a plan about it in the middle of the year, and then we'll see. I went in the winter once, and I found it quite useful. And yeah, if it's useful, why not use it? It just completes the picture. It's one more detail. Um, but I just thought would, there's such a difference between... I think that was very telling of Hulkenberg to, at this stage of his career, like he's 35 years old, you know, he's got the second chance in F1, so to speak. Um he obviously spent a few years out of F1. This mm. is particularly noteworthy just on the same weekend that obviously you've got Ricardo and Australia and obviously his comments beforehand talking about, you know, whether he... The Australian Grand Prix basically tell him a lot about whether he'd want to come back into the fray, essentially. Yeah. Uh, I just think it's telling that of Huckleberg's desire that at this stage of his career, he's still keen to get in the simulator as often as possible. I think that yeah. says a lot about his desire to return. And what you can maybe infer maybe from Ricardo's comments at the weekend, mm. where he said, uh, so he said he, he said he, so I'm reading from racefans.net uh, from Keith Collentine, and Ricardo said, so this is, I'm reading from this now directly, Ricardo said he wasn't missing being part of the action, quote, it's all right, honestly, I'm feeling in a good place, I'm happy to be here, but I'm also not, ha- I'm also happy not competing this weekend as much as I love it. I'm very much standing by my decision, and I'm very happy to take some time off. Um, so he, he talked about how he's been revitalised to be honest I think this is coming I still think he could come back it's just I think this is so soon in his com- like in his sabbatical year so to speak that I don't yeah. th- I've, I actually I don't, don't think, think yeah I don't think it's the, how he feels is quite indicative yet I, I think the telling point will be Vegas because that's the one I think he, he was looking forward to the most and it's mm. going to hurt him that he's not racing there. The whole like this, this, the spotlight, all like the cameras. The fact he's in America, it's towards the end of the season. That's the one where he's going to be like, "Damn, I, I wish I was on that grid." Damn. Yeah, yeah. It's he. He seemed a lot happier. I will say that than what he did towards the end of last season. This week, the weekend just gone. He oh yeah, the, definitely. The Ricardo of old. And he talked about how he wants to be back, but not at any cost, so to speak. So, very much like if a good seat opens up, then I'm interested. But obviously, look, he could have taken Haas if he wanted to, if he really wanted to. 
Yeah, you know, definitely. Uh, it was very interesting over the weekend. Christian Horner talking about how uh, how Red Bull discovered quote habits end quote they picked up from other cars' limitations. Yeah, I saw that. That was I thought that was a fascinating uh, thing to say. And obviously, look at the last year's McLaren. There's a lot of limitations. Mm. Um, just obviously, Lando Norris drove around it better. But it's weird isn't it? when you when you send someone off at the prime of their career, pretty much, and then he comes back and he literally got these weird habits that you're mm-hmm. like, why the, why the fuck are you doing that? Uh, Horner said he's desperate to get a run in the car, someone to validate that. But we're certainly seeing him getting back to being far more reminiscent of the Daniel that we knew. Yes. So, I would be interested to see if like the Daniel of old was would be there in this modern day Red Bull. Don't think it would be personally because it's not the same. Uh, Horner jokingly told McLaren racing CEO Zach Brown, "Quote: We had to feed him up a little bit. I don't know what you guys did to him, but he came back looking a little bit skinny. But he's looking healthier now. I think he's tra- I think he's training hard and he's ready to go given the chance." Yeah, it's it's weird, isn't it? Obviously, certain teams are certain. And, uh, ways of doing things and obviously McLaren aren't the same as uh, Red Bull are they in that sense <laughs> no certainly not uh, next up on the docket these are more so comments that came through beforehand uh, what did you make of Stefano Domenicali's uh, practice sessions uh, comments and his trying oh, get him uh, attempted cover ups of this so just for context uh, he was speaking he was actually attending the um, MotoGP event at the Algarve the other week yeah. Uh, told uh, Portuguese Channel Sport TV uh, that he supports quote the cancellation of free practice sessions. Uh, he kind of walked this back a bit, um, yeah, I think but wants to give rewards. Like it's uh, yeah. so Silly. get in the bim. Let, let's read some of these. Like free, so, this is from most what I comment. Keith Collentine. To uh, he said free practice is very interesting for the engineers or uh, for the drivers. But at the end of the day, in sport, you need to fight for something. Uh, and said every time we, we will be on track with the respect of the race on Sunday that has to be always the most important part of it there should be something to fight for in terms of points in terms of awards that's my opinion um, mm, disagree with that this but this general kind of comment or this kind of sentiment that some drivers backed this in a sense that, and say that one, one practice session is enough uh, so George Russell said, we obviously have no testing at all. I think one session is good enough for us all to do, uh, all good enough for all of us to do the various things we need to try to help develop. This is still a pinnacle of sport. You don't want to be just left with the car that you created at the start of a year with no opportunity to trial new things. That is sort of the beauty sometimes. You've got a 60 minute session, you can try new things, develop, improve further. Whereas if you're going straight into a session that is points worthy or there is a reward, you're less likely to trial new things. And then uh, Russell went on to say, obviously, the more practice you do, the more speed you'll be, the more comfortable you'll be with the car. I don't think it's right that Formula 1 has three times the amount of practices that we have in F3 and F2 categories. They should be the ones getting more practice, also because they're doing less races. They don't get to test that often. No practice would help too little. I wasn't in favour of the sprint races initially, but having done, uh, done in the last two years, I really enjoy the sprint races. Having action on a Friday, I think, is vital for all of us and also the entertainment factor. And then to echo that, Gasly said, I agree with George, definitely three is not needed. As a driving point of view, it's always nice. You can work on the fine details on the car and really try to nail that car balance for the weekend. But generally speaking, I think one, two maximum is more than enough for us. Nico Hulkenberg added, it comes down 
to bit, uh, it comes down to bit your personal opinions and preference. I think we've got a good amount of practice now. Thinking back to what George said to Junior Series, I quite enjoyed it at the time, having only 30 minutes like an F2 and then getting thrown into qualifying. Um, and then on the flip side, that Logan Sargent, a rookie, uh, he said, as a rookie, I don't mind having two or three, uh, but going forward, I think three, I don't think three is necessary. It's not. It's just not. I think so too. I think two is absolutely fine. Two is, two is fine. One on each day, just to cover off weather, I would, I would say. Yeah. But yeah. That's um, yeah, three. Three is too much. Yeah, I so I'm so that's somewhere in the middle where Victor, uh, where Dominicali is saying. <laughs> yeah, he's just an idiot. I'm, I'm coming to realize. <laughs> yeah, the, the more I've heard in the last twelve months, the more I've realized. Ugh, not the biggest fan of uh, F1 under Dominicali. It's it's been a, a lot of weird, weird stuff. Yeah, the Andretti stuff being the weirdest part of it, I think. Yeah, <sighs> but I'm sure he's got people pushing him to say these things at, at the same time there is pressure on that man's shoulders so I'm not going to fully blame everything on him but yes I mean he's the series of CEO I mean he is the series of CEO but at the end of the day he has bosses you know like there is there's always someone above someone that you don't know about so I guess yeah I, yeah he's he, he sort of he's the spokesman shall we say he's the face mm. to the voice yeah, I think that's fair to say, certainly, at the very least. Uh, not, the only, not the only other thing under consideration uh, for change. Uh, this came up as well over the weekend as well. The uh, change, looking, everyone's considering a change of the form of this first sprint race weekend in Baku. So, which has apparently been agreed. Which has been apparently agreed. I'll, we'll get to that in a second. Now, let me read this from Keith Conti and Race Fans on that. Because it's... In a sense, I want to understand better myself, in a sense, because I've read it, I've skimmed over, and I was like... It's not hard. Yeah, it's not, but I just want to read it again. Um, <laughs> so, under its current sp- sprint weekend structure, F1 holds a qualifying session on Friday, which sets the starting order for a Saturday short race, which in turn decides the grid for the Grand Prix. However, F1 is considering a revised format under which a second qualifying session will be held to decide the starting order for a sprint race. And Gunter Steiner explained, in Baku, we are talking about having a second qualifying in the moment. Uh, we don't know how we do it and if we do it. Uh, that was initially. Um, so, uh, proposal was discussed in a recent meeting with uh, Formula 1 Commission. Uh, Stefano had, as uh, Steiner again speaking, Stefano, Stefano had a little bit more his vision out there for the future because that's what he needs to do for FOM, have a vision of where we are going. So I think step by step, sort that one out, see how much practice we can make the car safe to get enough data, then you can up them. Then you can set them all up, give Prey enough data, and they've got something to work with. Um, so, but the upshot basically is, you'd have two qualif like so, a qualifying for the sprint, and then your Friday qualifying, I believe, sets the grid for Sunday. Yeah, so Saturday would be sprint day completely. Qualifying for the sprint would all be on the Saturday morning, and the sprint race would be on the Saturday evening. And so. Qualifying for the main race would be on the Friday, and obviously the Grand Prix itself is on the Sunday, as normal. And yeah. the qualifying for the sprint is one shot, so one lap only. We talked about which, that at length last year. Yes, which we would be, have been looking forward to for a long time. Yeah. So, and I am all for it. If that's what it means, if we get it in, if this is how we get it in, then do it. Bring it back to um, the five format, where you have yeah, the we don't we don't need the same qualifying format two race two days in a row. Yeah, I agree. Bring it back to one shot where, like, you had the results basically from 
whoever finishes twentieth gets to qualify first, like goes out on track first, and then whoever wins the race goes out last. And if yeah, you have basically. some weather stuff in between, then you've got a nice chaotic Tough race. Tough shit. No, that's what the sprint's for. Yeah, exactly. Uh, even if some people don't want to have that, but I, yeah, I just. I love that one shot. Like I do, like I do. Like it's not that I don't enjoy the the format we have now. I just no, think no, no, that's not the point. It's, you know, it's more the point. It's just some variety. This format works. Like this group qualifying, this this knockout stage works. Like it's been largely untweaked since twenty or sorry since two thousand and six for a reason. Uh, despite everyone's inter- uh, interventions of twenty sixteen and such, um, I do like the nature of one shot for this because it's it is one shot. You get Different. one chance. Uh, there's no excuse of traffic as well, which is nice. You know. Yeah, You've got one car yeah. on a flying lap and one the next car on an out lap. Yeah, that's literally it. It, it, it. Exactly the same how when you can't do it if you're watching the car qualifying when they're on the ovals. There's one car's going around mm-hmm. and the car's just literally building himself up. So there's no TV break time or anything like that. It's just literally continuous action all the time. And you get to see who cracks under the pressure of having to do it all in one lap. You really get to see who Mr. Saturday is pretty much. Um mm. Um, so, I'm all for it. And so, a place like Baku, cool. oh, all or nothing, all yeah. or nothing. Exactly, exactly. That's that's the thing. So, it, it should. Obviously, this will then sort of sort out the whole debate about whether pole counts for pole as pole in the sprint. So, we'll have their own. Obviously, qualifying for the actual main race on Friday will be back to its normal thing where that is actually officially pole. Yeah, but now we'll have an entirely new thing for a sprint. So, if this is the way they want to do it, then I'm perfectly fine with it. Yeah. this is this is the best format, I think. I think this is as well. I think this would be the best one by far because you have then teams actually go for it on the Saturday, knowing that they don't have to worry about losing a grid positions, etc., for the Sunday race. And yeah, they can they just do. send it on Saturday and. Even if you like, obviously the crash damage is something to be just talk, talk about. But you know, you can go for it, and you know, you don't have the fear of compromising your entire weekend based on going for it in the sprint. Yeah, this is the thing that most GP have nailed with their sprint races. It doesn't affect the race on Sunday, so people just go for it, and it is absolutely bonkers. And the last race we had a guy win from fifteenth because it was just that <laughs> nuts. It, it's it's bizarre how. Just that little bit of knowledge that, right, if I send this and it goes wrong, it's not going to affect me from the main race. That little bit of safety is is all at play. So mm-hmm. this is a good pitch. I also think to make that even more worth it, I think we do need to have some more points available for the sprint. I think 15 for first. Just to make it worth it, teams worth I think just to make it worth fighting for a little bit more. I think teams will, yeah. teams will, teams will, teams will go for more if, they, if there's more to gain. Yeah, maybe. Because what, it's... Is it 8 at the moment or is it 10? They upped it to 10, didn't they? Yeah, I think they it did. It was down, 10 down to 1. Eight, and yeah, 1 is 8th place. place. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I'm I, sure this will all be clarified in the uh, upcoming weeks. Yes. Officially, it's not an actual thing yet. Uh, yeah, it, it will be though because Fred Vassour talked about how all the F1 teams are backing this change. Uh, I mean, from uh, race fans on that again, a lot of race fans this week, uh, and Keith Collentine this time uh, with Claire Cottingham. And Vassour said, uh, for once, I think all teams were aligned. It's not very often that it's the case, so we have to jump on it. And he's right, because generally speaking, it's hard to get everyone of, like on the same page and agree in F1 <laughs> in regards to anything. It, it really is. So, 
uh, yeah, so uh, Vasur described that replacing a practice session with a qualifying makes the format, quote, more dynamic. And said, you can discuss about why you had to do it so late, but at the end of the day, I think we had, our, we think we are all aligned and we have to push for it. Uh, and Vasur said, I'm not, a, I'm not a big fan of the usual FP2. Sometimes it's a bit boring. Not for us because we have a lot of data, but I can imagine for those spectators, even for you, if you don't know about the level of fuel, the engine modes that we have, it is a bit boring. To try to have a, something more dynamic during the weekends is a good decision. And then on the other hand, I think it's also true that if you watch football. You're, all, you're not watching the session on Wednesday where they're training at the stadium. We are probably the only sport where we put the TV on, uh, putting on the TV the training session. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. It's good, good analogy, though. Uh, Christian Horner is more so upset or uh, is critical that the, F for the first sprint is in Baku. Um, yeah, it's not the best place for it in terms of them. But in terms of us, it's fantastic. Yes, so this is what he said on the matter, uh, speaking at the FIA press conference uh, on, the, on the build of the Australian Grand Prix. said, the reality is it's absolutely ludicrous to be doing the first sprint race of the year in a street race like Azerbaijan. I think from a spectacle point of view, from a fan point of view, it's probably going to be the most, one of the most exciting sprints, sprint races of the year. From a cost cap perspective, all you can do is trash your car and it costs a lot of money around there. Plenty of money. Plus it costs plenty of money. Um... <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, so it's more so like obviously it's just from his perspective as a team boss, etc. It's more so about the damage of the cars. From the fan perspective, he gets it. Yeah, um, yeah of course. No, I can understand where he's coming from, sir. Mm. Um, Horner said, one race is enough in Baku. The fact that we've got two, there could be some action there. But that's also part of the challenge and part of the task we've got. Hopefully we can tie up the format for the sprint races coming up that they are a bit more dynamic. I think it's obviously the stuff has come out since, since, since obviously these quotes as well. So that's good. Uh, I know that the sports, sporting director has been working hard on that. And hopefully we can get that finalized. But a sprint in Azerbaijan is something we certainly need to be wary of. And uh, Zach Brown said, anytime you go to a street circuit, Baku creates some pretty exciting races and some pretty big crash damage bills. Same for everyone. It kind of is what it is. It'll be exciting for the fans and hopefully all the cars can come back the way they started. Yeah. Fair comments from both. Uh, someone who's less uh, keen on these tweaks of format, such as Max Verstappen, who went out and said uh, basically that he wouldn't be around for too long if F1 keeps t changing the race format. Now, Verstappen yeah, is an yeah. open critic of sprint races. He does not like them at all. No, but I think this change will sort of take that risk, this hate away from them, to be honest. But he, I think he, he likes the traditional format where it's just one race. But I think this idea that it's not going to affect the actual main race anymore is a, or it will change his view on them. Mm -hmm. Personally, it's, it's I get it because they are literally. I get why they're changing it to try and find the sweet spot, but at the same time, you're literally changing it every other week, pretty much, just to try and work out what's best. And from a fan perspective, if I was a, a complete newbie to the sport, I'd be like, "Hang on a minute, I thought this." Last year, you said this affected the result for where people start on the Sunday, and it creates a lot of confusion. Keep changing things, so yeah, I think if this one works, just stay with it. Yeah, I think we're getting close here. We've we're getting yeah, close. This, this is the one where I'm like, right, surely, surely this is it. This is where actually you need to use hard tires throughout the entire race <laughs> for our sustainability project. Yeah, and all that crap. Oh uh, dear, and. Uh, 
these last ones are more so just kind of little hitters here and there before we get into one more talking point. Uh, obviously, F1's success in America has been uh, pretty pretty good of late. Um, so apparently, Atlantic City has approved an F1 spec track development in New Jersey. So there's been chat about a fourth USA race. A little premature, I think, but... We don't need a fourth USA race, for God's I sake. I agree. Um, it was interesting three that, is fine. Three is absolutely fine. We'll see how even... Let's see how even this one goes before we even say three is fine. Uh, apparently, New Jersey was originally supposed to have an F1 race... Uh, and it had announced to host a Formula 1 race at Port Imperial from 2013, back in 2011. It did. Uh, race was later cancelled. Never happened. So, some history, I guess, in New Jersey of this, but hey... Hmm. It uh, also kind of links in when you send me the uh, Kadia, I think Kadia, 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 yes, Kadia, uh, tr- potential track uh, for F one as well. I mean, it seems interesting. I still think we, I still prefer it. If just, just shift, no, just do both, just do both. You want two yeah. races in Saudi? Yeah, well, I like the Saudi track, so why not? Try it. Sure. If we can do three races in America, why can't we do two races in Saudi Arabia and? Well, that's, that's probably what's going to happen, to be honest. But or put it on a rolling rotation. Yeah, that would be fine. Be happy with that. But it's not going to happen. But, no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did you also see the the? Do you, do you how much do you remember of Craig Pollock in F one? The name rings a bell, mm. but I can't remember who. Former I, team principal of British American Racing, better known as BAR. Yes, and he's joined someone, hasn't he? So he's planning to return to F1 with a new equal gender team. That's the one. Consisting of 50% male and 50% female uh, employees, which he says is extremely hard to do if you have an existing F1 team. It's easier to with a clean uh, sheet of paper. Uh, So, look, the merits for this, the FIA previously indicated, it will confirm at the end of... uh, next month being April, this month, which, if any, prospective new F1 teams have been selected. Among the criteria, there will be ju- they will be judged on, quote, considerations of sustainability, EDI, which is equality, diversity, and inclusion, and societal benefit. The backing mm-hmm. for Pollock's project is rumored to come from Saudi Arabia. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So, the, uh, this comes from uh, comments from... The presence, the presence of the count, country's motorsport federation, Prince Khalid bin Sultan Al Faisal, said in January he's keen to attack, attract new teams from the country, and Craig Park himself says he is playing the first F1 team that is truly outside of Europe, and he said this has to be built from the bottom up in a Gulf state, and that's what we're aiming to do. This is a long-term project, not a short one. Um, so, interesting to see what the outcome of this is. I yes. do I do think it's noteworthy that it's fifty percent male and female and based in the Middle East, which is obviously obviously has been uh, club region really isn't it from that perspective, yes, but also a place with you know uh that has had issues with uh human rights and female right you know like uh, freedom of expression et cetera et cetera um not to get too excess yeah, not, not to, to get, get too, too deep but yeah. I think that that part would be certainly noteworthy like that would, would be a state of a state of intent from that region yeah that would it? be that would be I think that would be sending the right message I definitely think so and it would make sense to have a team that is based out there by the way because yeah we're basically there for what 25% of the season 
in that vicinity if yeah. you go to another race in the well yeah well, in fact because anytime you're in asia or anything like that you're basically there aren't you pretty much it's like just hopping over from the uk to europe it would be basically the same thing like it's it's like it, again like it, the middle east has been some sort of fixture on the f1 calendar since 2004 at least with the bahrain yeah, grand prix bahrain. so mm. you know now look there are some uh is the expression called sports washing uh, where you use sports basically to cover over your other issues. Yeah, there is there is yeah. a degree of that, in, but like, you it know, maybe it hasn't. Maybe, it's it's still here. Do you know what I mean? It. Like, yeah, if they're trying it, then I'll, we'll see. I guess. Yeah, so I'm interested to see what the outcome of that from uh, from Craig Park. Obviously, used to be uh, like heavy involved with uh, Jacques Villeneuve as well. Um, yes, back in the day. Now, as well as that, again, these are just little hitters. Uh, do you, do you remember Rocket by any chance? Yes, I do. The title sponsor this. for Williams in 2019. Uh, briefly, before that, I all went to shit at the beginning of 2020, uh, like many things. Uh, they're wanting to bring uh, Williams to court, claiming $149 million in damages. Um, yeah. This was based on uh, what I can basically surmise as false promises. Yes. Of a car that was never going to hit said promises. Mm-hmm. Um, they claim that Williams intentionally and fraudulently concealed the fact that Williams Engineering simply did not have enough money to develop the F1 car, which would be subject to the sponsorship agreements to an industry-leading standard, and therefore defendants knew that the F1 car, which would be subject to the sponsorship agreements, had no chance to be competitive, or at least placed in the upper side of the leaderboard. Um, Williams acknowledged this by saying he's aware of this, this uh, spurious claim spurious being the word of interest there that they used <laughs> um, so I just thought that was great That's a good word spurious they also said having successfully won an arbitration against Rocket in the UK and successfully petitioning for the arbitral award to be confirmed by a federal court in the United States Williams, conti- Williams continues to trust in the court processes in regard to this unfortunate matter yay yay um, this this was uh this is going back to uh, 2020, I think, and when uh, Williams took took Rocket to court for unpaid sponsorship fees, and the district court in California ordered Rocket pay 26.2 million pounds to Williams. Mm. So there is some history and uh, obviously bad blood. <laughs> so yeah, interested to see what uh, where that goes. So yeah, file that one away for later. Last but not least, uh, this was a very interesting topic that came up during the week about a time long gone, in fact, 15 years gone, and we're re-looking into 2008 and the World Championship of 2008 and its outcome. Uh, This was a very, yeah, this all came from comments from, this all spawned from uh, comments from Bernie Eccleston which then spurred Felipe Massa into commenting on it. It's obviously to do with Crashgate uh, from 2008, a race that he was leading, the first Singapore Grand Prix, a race he was leading before Nelson Piquet, as it turned out, intentionally crashed to bring out a safety car. And during said safety car, everyone came into the pits. And from that, then obviously there was a problem at the Ferrari pit stop. Massa ended up going when he was told to. The fuel rig was still on. Of course, this is a a time when the F1 light system was only Ferrari used it. Now everyone used it, but at the time it was was all lollipops and just Ferrari used this system and they were criticized for the system after this event as well. But anyway, it's just funny how that all comes around. 
Fuel pipe still in. Massa then went on to score no points, losing out to Hamilton when he would have at the time. I think they're running one and two, um, and he would have been leading by two points at the end of that race. Instead, he ended up going behind by seven points, and obviously went on to lose championship by one point, I believe, in the end. Now the whole thing with this, we're going to read from this, and yeah, there's a bit to say about. It. So the actual comments about the situation. Uh, Bernie Eccleston, obviously former uh, F1 boss, in an interview with F1 Insider uh, website, said that Max Mosey and the FIA knew about the situation during the 2008 season. So when it actually happened. Obviously, this whole thing came out 2009. was when yeah. all of that is, came to the fore. It was about, ironically, right about when Nelson Pica got sacked from uh, Renault the following year and the Hungarian oh, Grand Prix. Strange, hmm, funny, isn't it? Um, so, Eccleston said, we decided not to do anything for now. We want to protect the sport and save it from a huge scandal. That's why I use angelic tongues to persuade my former driver, Nelson Piquet, to keep calm for the time being. Back then... Actually, before we go on, the reason why... like, I, I get why they wanted to do that, because the previous year they just had uh, Spygate. Yeah. Which was pretty bad. Uh, this would not have been good at all for... Uh, if no, one to have such a massive controversy, an even bigger work... This almost goes into race fixing almost. Yeah. You know, let alone disgruntled employees from other teams sharing information. So, uh, yeah, but anyways, reading on. Uh, Back then, there was a rule that a world championship classification after the FIA awards ceremony at the end of the year was untouchable. I think that rule still exists now, to be fair. Mm -hmm. Um, So Hamilton was presented the trophy and everything was fine. We had enough time, we had enough information in time to investigate the matter. According to the statutes, we should have cancelled the race in Singapore under these conditions. That means it would have never happened for the championship standings, and then Felipe Massa would have become world champion and not Lewis Hamilton. So this, any, this is a dark path. Any provisional thoughts on that? It's all a load of bollocks, to be honest. <laughs> it's, it, the fact it's taken this long for it to come out was nearly fifteen years. Um, yeah, good one. Hmm. Um, Massa speaking recently he's at a Stock Car Pro Series uh, weekend and he said there's a rule that says that when a championship is decided uh, from the moment the driver receives the champion's trophy thing, things can no longer be changed even if, it has been, even if it has been proven a theft at the time Ferrari's lawyers told me about this rule we went to, the, went to other lawyers and the answer that there was nothing that could be done so I logically believed in this situation but after 15 years, we hear that the former owner of the Calgary says that he found out in 2008, together with the president of the FIA, that, and they did nothing uh, to, tarnish, not, to not tarnish the name of F1. This is very sad. You know, the result of this race was supposed to be cancelled, and I, I would have a title. In the end, the one who lost the most... So in the end, I, in the end, I was the one who lost the most with this, this result. So we're going after it to understand all of this. And that's the thing that Massa is he's looking to so Massa is saying he's looking to legal options over this. So nothing's been decided, nothing's been like it's just looking into options based on this new information that they knew in two thousand and eight. Mm. Um Massa accepted that his accepts that his chances of finding any route to challenge the result are slim, but he insists that does not put him off looking into it. And he says there are rules and there are many things that depending on the depending on the country, you can't cannot go back after fifteen years to resolve a situation. But I intend to study the situation, study what law, what the laws say and the rules. We have an idea of what is possible to do. Um, uh, and it's massive. I would never go after thinking financially. I'd go after thinking about justice. 
I think if you've been punished for something that wasn't your fault and it's a product of a robbery, a stolen race, justice has to be served. In fact, the right situation to cancel the result of that race is the only justice that can be done in a case like this. And then he compared it to another situation where something like this happened. He said, We've already seen other situations happening in sports, such as Lance Armstrong, who was proven to have doped and he lost all his titles. What's the difference? Yeah. I, I get it. I get why he'd do it. I just don't think anything's going to come of it. I agree. I don't think anything will. Uh, it, like, it just I, opens up the dark door for other things to. Uh, well, yeah, at, this uh, has been Cof- inferred. Cof- 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 yeah. yeah, it's just going to be a vicious circle, so yeah. It, uh, now, if it had done this two years after the event, then I'd be like, right, okay, this could possibly do it. But 15 years, so it's a long, long ass time. I know times have changed and. It's not like Max Bowles is about anymore, so you can't really no, ask him. Nor Charlie Whiting, of yeah. course, who is the FIA. Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's a lot of lot of if, buts, and maybes on this one. So it wants to definitely keep an eye on. It's yeah. a very interesting story, but it's, you're talking like a 1% chance that something happens here. If even. Um, yeah. This article goes on to say it's from motorsport.com. Uh, the FIA is the final court when it comes to this. It says, while massive plans to look into the matter, there do not be, do not, there do not appear to be any routes to get the result of the 2008 Singapore Grand Prix cancelled. The FIA's own international sporting code does not allow protests after a race, and any right to request a review requires expires 14 days after uh, competition and four days prior to the to the date that the FIA's prize giving ceremony. Uh, furthermore, the FIA's judicial system is clear that the highest authority to make any ruling is independent. Uh, international court of appeal and that any persons involved in the championship argue, uh, agree to abide by this so there is no there are no alternative courts that massa could use and it says article 1.1 1.3.1b of the uh, international uh, of the ICS the uh, which states that competitors yeah thank you <laughs> uh states that competitors, quote, shall undertake to submit themselves without reserve to the above and to decisions of the sporting authority and to the consequences resulting therefrom. So that means, while in theory, Massa could seek out the views of the court arbitrations for sport, it has no jurisdiction over the FIA on issues like this. The FIA statutes dictate that the court arbitration... The court arbitration for sport may only be involved in matters relating to the FIA's anti-doping disciplinary committee. The additional structure within the FIA, or of the final call being the ICA, which is the the jeez uh, <laughs> abbreviations McGee, was one of the reasons Mercedes abandoned its challenge over the result of the 2021 Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, where Hamilton lost the title after rules regarding the running of the event were not followed by F1 race director Michael Massey. Um. So, yeah, there was that. There's a separate article on motorsport.com from Jonathan Oba, how the FI found out about the crash gate uh, at the Brazilian, Brazilian Grand Prix 2008, but could not act. So there's other information in this as well. There's, there's stuff from Max Mosley from 2013, um, Charlie Whiting as well, uh, from again, from the past. Um, Whiting said, there are a few conspiracy theories after the race, but nothing of great substance. But it was in Brazil, and talking to Nelson Piquet Sr., I was his mechanic for a number of years and we remained good friends. He came to see me in my office and we were having a chat and then all of a sudden he shut the door. He held his foot against the door so that no one could come in and told me what happened in Singapore. It was aimed at Flavio Briatore because basically the essence of what he was saying was that Flavio made my boy crash. I said, 
wow, this is pretty serious stuff. I didn't know who else he had, he had told, but he just said, keep it to yourself. In doing that, he would have known that I would tell Max. Hmm. So, now the whole thing went into this, that basically, uh, uh, this, so this PK chat to Whiting confirmed what I suspected. Uh, and it also confirmed that, well, what a lot of, oh, jeez. It also confirmed what a lot of other people suspected. Uh, Max Mosley told um, the filmmakers of his documentary. There was no, but, as I, but of course, I said nothing to anyone. There was no evidence. Then Nelson Jr. was fired by a team in summer of 2009. Nelson Sr. came to see me in Monaco and told me the story. I didn't say I already knew this. I just said this is terrible. Um, so they like basically, they want, I think, in short, you can read this article on mostpart.com as it goes into it. Um, in short, I think they wanted to build a case. So you can see the different things going on. Like they didn't want to tarnish the image anymore, having gone through last year of 2007. They wanted to build a case. They wanted to actually get make sure that things were correct. But in a sense, I do see where Matt is coming from. If they knew at the time something was up, it would have been pertinent to very pertinent to the title of that year to actually do something about it. Yes. By rights, that race should have been cancelled. It should have been, but yeah, a bit late now. A bit late now. Like, do you want to ask Fernando Alonso for his Singapore 2008 Grand Prix trophy back, or? Yeah, it's yeah, it's kind of worms, isn't it? Yeah, the other the other swing of this side of things is, of course, um, Keith Conte wrote a piece on Massa's problematic vision of the Lance Armstrong uh, Lance Armstrong uh, argument. Of course, like it wasn't a Renault driver that won a championship; it was a McLaren who was completely uninvolved in that incident. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it, that that was that's the that's the counter argument for that. Like it, like yeah. Armstrong obviously gained from his own cheating. Whereas, you know, like yes, Renault, Renault won the race, obviously, but obviously Lewis Hamilton did not, and had no idea of it. <laughs> so, do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, uh, yeah. It look, it it should, it should have been cancelled at the time, but it's gonna be very difficult to do that now. So. I'm interested to see what they uh, what they decide upon or what comes from it, but I, yeah, I'd be I would be shocked if anything did. And like you mentioned, how many cans of worms did you open? Yeah, it, it just sets a precedent. So uh, yeah, it's not. Yeah, I would, I would think so. Um, also, speaking of precedent, by this is one this is one thing I want to mention with Carlos Sainz. Um, if uh, if he was the other way around and he had done that to Alonso. And there was no penalty. You could 100% guarantee that taking that on board, Alonso would have done exactly the same thing at some point down the road and used the exact same precedent. And re- yeah, and- yeah, of course he would. Because he's Fernando Alonso. That's like, he will push yeah, that to the extreme. In Australia, this was fine. So why why can't I do it now? Yeah. <laughs> so I immediately said, like, Leclerc should get a penalty in Silverson for weaving because he got a penalty for weaving a couple of weeks earlier in Canada. And he yeah. was right then as well, because that was bu- that was a bullshit penalty, I thought. And, yeah, and this is why you saw him basically straight line turn one at Russia. Yeah, <laughs> that was brilliant. I still think that's fan fucking tastic. <laughs> so he, he did nothing wrong. He that... literally followed it as the rules said. <laughs> yeah, literally. I think that, that was one of my favourite little things about 2021 was Alonso relearning the rules of engagement in F1. Yeah. Since he'd been away. using them to the maximum. <laughs> yeah. 
Because I was like, in the, the time he was away, of course, like Charlie Whiting had passed away and like a whole yeah, different thing. Different set, set of ball game, you know. The British Grand Prix, I think, was a particular good learning point for him as well. But like, I just loved that little, like, tiny, the most insignificant subplot of twenty twenty one. In given the everything that went on that year, was just Alonso relearning how to be Fernando Alonso in some ways. <laughs> he he really is the re- like he's the career reincarnation of Michael Schumacher. Like he would push anything to the limit. Like, I love him. I I, I love it. Like. I think back to Schumacher, like at the end of the 2010 Monaco Grand Prix, there is a green flag on the board flashing away. Regardless of the safety car goes in and Schumacher overtakes Alonso. <laughs> and then gets a penalty and loses all his points. <laughs> but it's such a Schumacher thing to do. Yeah. Oh, and it's such an Alonso thing to do now if he did it. I love it. it is, like, th- like you talk about passing batons, like it could not have been more perfect between Schumacher and Alonso. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Um, and that's it. That's all I have. I did have one other uh, tab open that talked about Yuki Tsunoda basically saying Avatari would need to run no front wing to, to counter their horrible top speed limit. Um, yeah, I saw that. Suggesting how draggy their car is, which, again, which is funny given that the Red Bull is uh, pretty nifty in the straight that's line. The, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? But which I think is more to do with their rear wing than, they, than a lot of things. It is. It's all that rear section. It's that entire rear section. There's yeah. been a lot of an- analysis I've seen on Twitter. <laughs> oh dear I just think that's yeah sorry I'm still laughing at that Schumacher thing um, but there you go that's uh, that's our catch up anyways for uh, the events that happened before and just after the Australian Grand Prix bit of a yeah uh, sorry I, I got my tongue twisted about a thousand times this podcast has been pretty rough I do apologise <laughs> not good enough mm. I know I know um, anything else you'd like to add coming up or like what racing have we got in the upcoming weeks do we have IndyCar coming up in the next few weeks or we so? have IndyCar Long Beach next week excellent fantastic I don't uh, know when Formula E is Form back e, I believe I believe it's next week okay I don't I know where they are on. but um, we did a super probably form. somewhere in Europe actually uh, I could actually check to be fair we did a super form there over the weekend as well not that I could see it I don't know where to watch it I knew I I think the race used to stream it on YouTube and obviously they lost the rights for that at some point down the road mm. um, same with their coverage of Indie Lights yeah um, but I don't know where you could maybe it's on maybe it's maybe it's maybe the, they do on YouTube themselves I've no idea but to be honest I've looked I've spent zero time looking into it so <laughs> uh, Formula E is in Berlin but it's not for another 12 days as we record this oh, okay. so, so not next week the week, week after. after which would still put before F1 so hooray Yay. content hooray but yeah speaking of next week we'll talk about F2 and F3 we'll see if anything at all comes from Ferrari's um Right of review. I can't and imagine hope, anything hope would for something else in the meantime. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, otherwise it'll be a pretty quiet week. So, well, we'll see. I mean, you say that, and like we'll get the announcement that Lewis Hamilton's retiring or something, or leaving uh, Mercedes. No, Carlos Sainz is coming for your siege. Yeah, good one. <laughs> uh, you hope. <laughs> you hope not. No. That'll be the worst case scenario. Uh, make a bad week even worse. <laughs> uh, you're willing to die in this Carlos Sainz cell. Like, I just... No, I'm not willing to die. Just anybody else. Oh, anybody else. <laughs> I'll take Latifi, <laughs> Latif, for God's sake. <laughs> just not Lewis Hamilton. Yeah. Uh, fair enough. <laughs> Anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? 
No, that's it from me. That's it, yes. So that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Switchback Formula 1 podcast. I've been Graham. I've been Tongue Twister. Oh, uh, Jean Todd Tongue Twister? Yeah. No, that was terrible. We're on the podcast <laughs> now. But, uh, we'll see you next week. Yeah.